when you're when you're paying attention to the flow of the spirit and and you're in that river it's like what comes out of you will be the same thing that's coming out of this person the same thing that's coming out of that person because we're all standing there in the same river and we're all feeling the same current and it's a good thing bear with me here just a second my camera normally sees my face and turns on but these lights make it not work but i know the code i'm thinking about um i'm thinking about a lot of things um you know, the the father the word and the spirit these three are bare record in heaven of one three records of one and you know if if i want to reveal my heart to you i'm going to use my words to open that up and and bring it to you and the spirit shows up to let you see the spirit of that word not just a word that you're looking at on a paper and you're reading it like an attorney so you can pick it apart and oops he shouldn't have said that whoops well what about it? what about no 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 the father uses his word to reveal his heart and as the father uses his word to reveal his heart he also provides you with a spirit so you won't misunderstand the word you know paul came and he talked about the spirit kills but the letter or the letter kills but the spirit gives life the letter and the spirit of what well in context he's referring to the law there is a spirit on the law and the carnal mind caused them to absolutely miss what was being said that's why jesus would come on the scenes and he would say you've heard it said blah 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 but i say blah 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 you've heard it said but i say you've heard it said but i say and not one time did he ever say the law says but i say but that's not my message today <laughs> i'm thinking about when uh when i first got saved i was uh, i was in the military i was actually stationed in turkey at the time and there was this lady who uh, kind of made the circuit through the chaplains, the chaplaincy and visited different bases and stuff. And she would come and she would present a message. And I don't remember anything about her message. But what I do remember is the prayer she would always pray. And she, and she even made the statement, this is what I always pray before delivering a message. And uh, this particular lady, she was, she was a contemporary of Corey Ten Boom, and her testimony was very similar to hers. I'm not going to name her because I don't know enough men, I don't know enough about her ministry to point to her. So, but my point is, I remember what stuck with me. She would always pray this prayer: "Lord Jesus, make me a nail upon the wall, and on that nail, hang a picture." of your beautiful face. Isn't that a cool prayer? And I want to pray similar to that right now. Father, I ask 
that you would bring forth words out of me that would reveal your heart, that would reveal your face. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you be in full manifestation for us here today. And we'll thank you for it. Amen. All right. So anybody who has seen the title on the YouTube thing knows that this message is going to be called Left at the Altar. Um, before I get started, I want to read a post that John Fazio wrote yesterday. John Fazio is the author of the, uh, the Faith Translation. Okay, we're all familiar with it. He said this, he said, Adam could never be our Christ. But Adam had full access to Christ, Alpha and Omega, to partake and join himself to him as one flesh, immortal. Adam could have been made immortal by eating from the tree of life, slash Christ, slash the word of life, slash the wisdom. You know how John is. He gets, <laughs> he's, he, he's, writing a, he's writing the faith version of the Amplified Bible. The tree of life slash Christ slash the word of life slash the wisdom and the power of God slash the spirit of faith slash the spirit of Christ slash the spirit of the Son. <laughs> but it is the word that creates a man in immortal flesh, not the man Jesus. And until death entered, Christ Jesus did not need to be born from a woman. Jesus came born of a woman for one reason alone. Death entered through man. And so the resurrection from the death needed to come through a man. Alpha and Omega promising man his life and then dying does not prevent him from bringing his promise to pass. But rather, he could clothe his incorruptible seed slash life inside of corruptible flesh and bring it out of the grave incorruptible. The word of life that was with the Father became immortal flesh and that spirit of life slash word of life was, made, was again made available and poured out to all flesh. The spirit of faith was always plan A. And I feel like I'm speaking as a fool to even say plan A because God's promise was simply never subjected to death. When God finished telling Adam he would return to the dust of the ground, the next thing he does is clothe Adam and Eve. What is he declaring there? Is the promise now void? No. I pledged my life and my life will raise you again and whereby I might decorate you in my life. I don't know about you, but that just makes me happy. That brings clarity to my spirit. It, 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 it gets rid of a lot of the noise. It gets rid of a lot of the confusion. James talked about the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated. Man, this, this fills that bill for me. 
So, left at the altar. Last time I was up here, I presented a picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve at that point had not partaken of either one of them. So you could say they were unmarried. And we also talked about how God got down on one knee and blessed them. And we brought out that in the Hebrew, that word barak means to get down on one knee and, and offer a proposal, like a man proposing to a woman. Okay? So we offered them a proposal, and yet as we examine the text, we don't see them ever taking him up on that proposal. We don't see Adam and Eve ever eating from the tree of life. And I know they didn't eat from the tree of life. And the reason is, if they had have eaten from the tree of life, they would have never eaten from the corrupt wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? All right, so here we have this scenario. They're in the garden. God comes and offers a proposal. Don't you think God knew it was going to go down that way? Not, not, not the way of death. I mean, he knew that too. But when, in, in the way he presented it, he knew that it was going to go down that way. And he set it up to go down that way. Why would he set it up to go down that way? Because God created us. He created our hearts to live by faith. God is a God who lives by the persuasion of his heart. And he wants us to live by a persuasion in our heart. That's the way we're designed. Everybody lives by faith. Everybody lives by the faith that is resident in their heart. Unless you get trapped in religion and you wind up being a hypocrite and denying what's in your heart. We, we won't talk about how I know that. But uh, I'm, I'm going to have to stay close to my notes because there's so much here that we'll just never get through it. Okay, but God, God created man to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith is the persuasion of the heart. I remember when I was first coming out of a tradition of what faith looked like, and I had discovered it was all kinds of corrupt. So the Spirit of God comes to me, and He tries to straighten that up in me, because we can't, we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, because, because some people preach faith in such a way that, that it has caused pain and has caused destruction, are we now going to say, well, there's, no, there's nothing to that faith thing? No, there's absolutely something to that faith thing. It's just, it's been twisted and it's been corrupted. So he had to get that straight in me. And the illustration he gave me, he said, you're making this too complicated. He said, faith not the faith, but just in general, faith is like when a man is courting a woman. 
during that courtship, he's going to behave himself in such a way and he's going to say things in such a way so as to persuade her heart that he would make her a good husband. And the only thing that is required of her during that entire process is that she continues to make herself available to be persuaded. And that's all that's required of us. I'm going to talk about it some more in a minute, but Jesus, when the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus said, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good thing. What was that good thing? Sit at his feet. That's the thing. That's the only thing that's required. And, and, and some stuff I'm going to bring forth today, you, you might be tempted to think, oh, that sounds like works. That sounds like... You can't do the things I'm going to talk about. All you can do is the one thing. But the one thing will produce things in us, and they will come forth, okay? Let's see. Oh, right there in my note. That's making me think of Mary and Martha. All right. But as I was thinking about Mary and Martha, I, there was a part of that that jumped out at me that I had never paid a lot of attention to. He said, Mary has chosen that good thing which shall not be taken from her. And that part jumped out at me. And as, as I was sitting there looking at it, all of a sudden this picture rose up on the inside of me of, uh, of Solomon when the lady came to him because her baby had been stolen. And she's arguing with this other lady. That's my baby. No, that's my baby. And so they go to Solomon. I mean, she calls on the king. Let's get this thing worked out. And Solomon hears both sides, and he don't know whose baby it is. It's just her word against her word, right? But the wisdom of God, <laughs> he brings out that sword. And he says, We'll slice the baby in half and y'all can both have it. Well, that sword comes and it separates the light from the darkness. That's the sword that's guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden. That sword separates the light from the darkness. That's why Jesus said, Think not, I've come to bring peace, but a sword to separate the light from the darkness. And that's what happened when Solomon pulled that sword. It separated the light from the darkness. The mother's like, no, 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 don't kill it. Just let her have it. Well, that shined the light on the situation and he, he was able to discern whose baby that really was. Glory to God. But, uh, but and then that made me think of something else. And then that made me think of another passage. <laughs> This is what goes on in me all day long. This is what goes on in a net all day long. It's because we, we, we've been captivated by the, by the captain of our salvation. But something it said, you know, this story made me think of that story or this story made me think of that passage. The word passage is an interesting word. A passage gives way to an entrance. A passage is designed to take us from the letter and grant entrance into the Spirit. 
Another word for passage is away. Much emphasis has been put on the way this year at GRC. The way is for us to fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. That's what gives us passage into resurrection life so that resurrection life can come forth in us. Now God intended that Adam and Eve would be persuaded by spending time with Him. This is why God walked with them in the cool of the day. Before that persuasion came to fruition or harvest, they were presented with another wisdom, which caused them to be captivated by the idea that they didn't have life. It caused them to quit looking at God and start looking at themselves. And see, that's what that corrupt wisdom does. You remember when, when I think it was Ezekiel prophesied concerning that tree. It said he lifted himself up above all of the other trees in the garden, right? Well, if you're feeding from that wisdom, it'll cause the same thing in you. It'll cause you to look at yourself instead of looking at your Savior. All right. They were presented with another wisdom which caused them to be captivated by the idea that they didn't have life. It caused them to not look at God, but look at themselves. This is what that wisdom does. And it kind of sounds like Mark 4 where Jesus explains the things that cause the kingdom to be unfruitful in us. Persecutions, afflictions, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. They choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the same image that's presented to us when Peter uh, stepped out on the water. He started observing the wind and the waves, and that became bigger in his sight than Jesus, who was standing there on the water with him, and he started to sink. It, it, it's, it's, there's something kind of interesting in this. He said, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit! And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come on the water. Now, just to read that on the surface level, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. Because what if it's not Jesus and he says, come? <laughs> so apparently Peter was looking for something beyond just a confirmation. He was looking for a confirmation that it was Jesus because he knew the voice of Jesus. And what was the first thing Peter ever heard Jesus say to him? And I guarantee you that was big in his heart. Come, follow me. He knew if he said come, he would recognize that that's who it is. Because beyond that, like I say, that's just that's a stupid thing to ask. <laughs> because if it's a spirit of deception, it'll say come too, right? All right, where are we at? Um, these things can occur 
even after a marriage. The, the things that distract you away. All right. How many of us have ever heard of a marriage where all the lady ever wanted was kids? I mean, that was just her goal in life. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I have seen it go to a place where it's out of bounds in that after the kids are born, she becomes so wrapped up in the kids that she starts to neglect her husband who gave her the kids. So you see how that can kind of play out in our lives even though we are already believers and we're already born again? We don't want to be distracted by the things. The things are great. The things are actually born from the relationship. But let's not forget where they came from. You know, I think of the prodigal son. I mean, this dude wanted what the father had apart from the father. And he ended up in a pig pen. But the things he had was good, right? But you see what happens when you want it apart from the father. Huh? You can't have fruit. Apart from the well, at least not his fruit. <laughs> all right. We, all, we, we see this played out in Revelation chapter 2 as well when Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. He said, I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. And then he says something that most grace people don't know what to do with. He says, go back and do the first works. What's the first works of love? Well, herein is love, not that you love him, but that he loves you. To go back and do the first works is to go back to that place where you saw that he loves you. And let that produce fruit in you. Go back to that place. Do the works. James talked about be not hearers of the word, but doers of the work. What is the work? The work is to continue looking into the perfect law of liberty. Why? That it might bring forth fruit. But I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. Repent therefore and do the first works. I should have numbered these things. It'd be easier to find them when I walk away. When looking into the spirit of prophecy, we need to see the point of any given analogy. Because you see how that, that kind of got strained a little bit when I was talking about Adam being unmarried, and then I started talking about us now that we are married, but yet the point could apply to both. All right, this is, this is where this is coming from. When looking to the spirit of prophecy, we need to see that the point of any given analogy 
we need to see the point of the given analogy. The point can be mixed with any other analogy, but sometimes it can be confusing when we try to mix the analogies. For instance, we can know God as father, as son, as husband, as brother, as sister, and friend. And I can give you scriptures for every one of those things. Well, how can he be all those things? Because he's using an analogy to make a point. Get the point. Because otherwise I'm left thinking, why, does, why do I want a husband? I'm a man. And why would he want a hairy-legged bride? <laughs> Let's just get the point. Because you can take that point and incorporate it into any other analogy. But when you start trying to mix the analogies, that's where things start getting twisted and thwarted. All right. Um, the Spirit of Prophecy, Revelation 19.10, says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of Prophecy. The Spirit of Prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? I could spend the next week sitting here giving you verse after verse after verse after verse. But what does it boil down to? It boils down to this. The Father has a life in Himself. And that life is the life you're after. It's an everlasting, eternal life. And He wants to and is willing to step up and father that life in you. That's the testimony of Jesus. So, that's going to be the point of all analogies throughout all Scripture. That is the spirit of prophecy. If you're reading a passage and you're not seeing the testimony of Jesus, you're probably misunderstanding the analogy and you're misunderstanding what the point is that he's trying to get across to us. What the spirit of Jesus talked about broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. That's what the spirit of prophecy comes to do. It comes to keep us in the narrow way. This should cause us to worship God. <laughs> All right, back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Apparently, they hadn't spent enough time with him to become captivated by who he is. And the, there could be a carnal judgment arise up in you and say, well, why didn't God get to the point quick with them? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of a guy, he's interested in a girl, and she agrees to go out with him, and they go out, and all he does is talk about how great he is and all the things he's accomplished in his life. Blabbity, 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 blab. Do you think she's, she likes that? She's like, get me out of here. I can't wait for this thing to be over with and lose my phone number while you're at it. 
you know, what's, what's that, what's that uh, Toby Key song? I want to talk about me. <laughs> but God knew that about the human heart. So he comes. He's not interested in a time thing. He abides in eternity. And he's, he, he's going he's gonna to operate as if time's not a factor with you. So he's going to take his time. And instead of boasting of himself as to who he is, what his intention was is that you'll come spend time with him. And in spending time with him, you'll discover those things about him without him having to boast. But it comes through time. It comes through making yourself available to let your heart be persuaded. So, before that captivation or before they could see who God is and how great He is, that other wisdom presented itself. And they got their eyes on themselves. And here's God left at the altar. You done run off. He's ready to marry you. And you quit showing up. I'm not pointing at anybody when I say this. But, but that's what went down there. They quit showing up. There's God standing at the altar. You guys watched me and Annette get married in here. And can you imagine? I'm standing here. Greg's standing there. And, and, and Annette just walks out the door. And I'm just like, well, that's kind of the position God's in now. All right. So, oh, we see, we see that same character trait of not wanting to boast in, in himself. We see that show up in John the Baptist since you were talking about it earlier. They ask him, are, 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 are you that great prophet that is come? No. Are, are you Elijah? No. Are you, are you a prophet? No. Why? Why did he say? He said, well, then who are you? I'm just a reed blowing in the wind out here in the wilderness. In other words, what he was saying is, if you can't see that I'm that prophet, I ain't going to bother telling you. He wasn't going to boast of himself. You see, the same thing happened when Jesus went into his own hometown and it said he could there do no mighty works. Why could he not do any mighty works? Because they measured him as, this is just a carpenter's son. And because they esteemed him as just a carpenter's son, that's all they got out of him. And the Pharisees would come, show us a sign! No. <laughs> no, I ain't doing it. If you can't get out of what you've already seen, I'm not going to let you come here and provoke me so that you'll lift me up because when I was doing what I was doing, I was busy lifting the Father up. He wasn't boasting of himself. And Jesus would go on to say, If any man do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeks his own glory. But he that seeks the glory of him that sent him, the same is true 
and no unrighteousness is in him. You see what Jesus is doing? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm, I'm not seeking my glory. But the one whose glory I'm seeking will glorify me. <laughs> when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then will you also appear with Him in glory. <laughs> But um, so God's, God's in kind of a spot here is the one that he wants to give his life to has left him at the altar. They never became captivated by him. They never came to the understanding of how much he loved them. They would have come to it. And actually, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, had it never been corrupted, that would have been kind of like God's wingman. Because He would have pointed to the tree of life. But it got corrupted. How many of you have seen a movie where the best man ran off with the bride? That's kind of what went down. <laughs> Crucified. <laughs> All right, fast forward. Now death's entered the picture. How might he get their attention? And I'm picturing David. And since Greg already talked about Goliath, it's in the same river, right? I'm imagining David, he just went out and he took care of Goliath. And I'm picturing him returning to the camp after he cut off his head. Now, David was a single guy. Do you think he didn't just get the attention of every woman in Israel? <laughs> They're looking at him. Even the married women are looking at him because they're like, your tail didn't go out there and fight. This guy did. Yeah, he got their attention. Matter of fact, the scripture goes on to say, all the women started singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah, they were captivated. They saw something. They, they, they saw something that Adam and Eve never saw in God before they partook of the wrong wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So all the, uh, David didn't have to boast of his greatness because they saw his greatness. They saw his greatness. Now, we've spent a lot of time here at GRC looking into Psalm 22 and 23. But I want to take a look at Psalm 24 because God did something for the purpose of grabbing your attention back toward Him. And we see that He went in and He conquered our death. He took the head off of our death. He crushed the head of the serpent. And when the battle is over, 
Oh, my, my. He's raised from the dead, standing there, glorified, immortal, flesh and bone, never able to die again. He is now a picture of what the original proposal was. He's sitting there saying, this is what I'm offering you. Look at me. Well, he don't have to say look at me because he just did what he did. You're going to look at him. All right. And after he did what he did and he shows back up in the resurrection, he spent some time debriefing his disciples because any of you military people know that that's what you do after an assignment. You debrief. He debriefed his disciples and then he turns loose of gravity and starts to ascend. And as he's starting to ascend, I can hear the host of heaven right now singing, Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. I think He's got our attention. Hallelujah. This is the one that I have become one with. This King of glory. This Lord who's mighty in battle. And why did my computer just turn off? Some folks, I'm just going to read this, okay? Some folks don't know how to take me. And I realize I can come across pretty stern sometimes. This is because when the wisdom from above in me discerns death coming out of someone, I feel God rise up in me. I feel that mighty warrior rise up inside of me. And it's like I can feel God saying, let me at him. Not flesh and blood. We understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But there's just something about that that provokes a fight. I mean, we're talking about the God who said to death, I will be your plague and I will not repent. And he's wanting to get after that thing. And anytime death is coming forth in your life, he's ready to go after it because that's who he is. And somebody might say, well, that don't sound like the sweet Jesus that I'm one with. Fair enough. But Paul continued. He said, I continue to pray again in birth again until Christ be fully formed in you. Fully formed. So that all of His characteristics are built on the inside of us. And as those characteristics are built on the inside of us, they start, they start manifesting. And as Christ is fully... When you're... 
when you, when you're talking with God about being letting Christ be fully formed in you, you can't leave this part of the formation out because this is who he is. He is a God that's mighty in battle. He is a God that's not afraid of a battle. And he is a God who has an enemy and he has swore, I will be your plague. And that same formation starts being born in me. <laughs> we like to sing the song, Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar. Well, the thing is, when that lion roars, if there's any darkness in you, it will scare the hell out of you. <laughs> How do I know? Because I've experienced it on several occasions. That lion will roar. It can make, woo. But that's who I'm one with. That's part of the formation that's rising up in me. Some people were puzzled that our sweet Annette would have any interest in somebody with my disposition. And the church said, Amen. She got close enough to see my heart. Because she sees my heart, she actually takes comfort in the aggression that comes out of me. Because she sees my heart. See, that's what Adam and Eve never saw in God. They never saw His heart. Why? They got distracted. They, they bit into a wisdom that caused them to look at their self and quit, and quit looking at the one who wanted to give them his life. Well, how has this worked out for Annette? Well, we'll let you in on something personal, okay? We all know that she was attacked in, in her body and she wasn't able to go to Branson. Well, one diagnosis revealed a worse diagnosis and that diagnosis revealed an even worse diagnosis. And the doctor's report comes forth and says, you've got a really big mass in your colon and we need to we need to get this dealt with like right away you think that line of judah didn't rise up on the inside of me and i went after it you remember when she was up here she talked about the vision that she had of me running after her but what she discerned in that vision he said, I saw, I saw Matt, my husband, running after me, but she, all of a sudden she understood that it wasn't her husband, Matt, but it was her husband who was her maker. Because that's who rose up in me. I can't do anything. But the wonderful thing about the battle where the Lord's concerned, the only thing I'm called to do is just stand there. Just stand. And having done all to stand, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. He'll come fight the battle. 
He will. He'll, he'll show up in the middle of all kinds of confusion and He'll say, let there be light. And that light will open everything up so you can see plainly what you're dealing with. And in that situation, that light came. And some things got dealt with. And we go back to the doctor. And the doctor said, well, all I know is whatever was there ain't there now. Glory to God. Glory to God. All right. And, and, and there's several people in our congregation who are going through similar type things. And, and some of it has been long and drawn out. The fact that it's long and drawn out doesn't say anything about the people going through it. Because this thing with me and Annette, it could have drug out for years. And my stance would have been the same even had it drug out for years. I don't care how long it drags out. I've got eternity. Death does not have eternal life. I do have eternal life. Do, 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 do. All right. And right now I'm thinking about our brother Mike in Spokane, Washington. A lot of us met him at the gathering in Branson. He posted a picture on Facebook yesterday. And in this picture, there's a baby laying in a hospital bed. All kinds of wires and probes and tubes coming out of that baby. And here's what he posted in that. Let's see. He said, my brother's grandson, Ethan, was born premature eight months ago with an incomplete heart. He had a 10-hour surgery yesterday, which went well. Join with me in prayer. When I see this photo, I see an empty grave. Oh, man, that stirred me up. This man's a warrior. I, 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 can, I, can, I can agree all over that prayer. <laughs> I see an empty grave. We stand with you, Mike. I see an empty grave. Mm, mm, mm. But for him to even come to that conclusion, it's because the King of Glory rose up on the inside of him. The Lord mighty in battle rose up on the inside of him. The, the same God that rose up on the inside of Joshua and said, See that I have given you this land. Well, the land's full of enemies. God said, Don't look at that. See that I have given you the land. You see that. You understand that. I have given you the land. You see that empty grave. See it. Look at it. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate therein day and night that you might observe to do according to all that's written therein. That you might observe. That you might see something. 
What do you see? Whose report will you believe? When you feel these things rise up on the inside of you, don't assume that there's something wrong with you. You might feel all kind of agitation about something that's going on with somebody and you, you, you come up with a carnal judgment that says, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. Maybe that's God inside of you. How are you going to judge this thing? I'm thinking about a case one time. I was, I was a part of a church and uh, after the church service one day, the one Sunday, the pastor did something that he don't normally do. He walked out the back door and just started walking around the parking lot. And he saw this other guy and he's just kind of milling around and snooping around. And he said, something came over me. And he said, I gave that guy what for, and I ran him off. And he, he did it very gruffly and very abruptly. And after it was over with, he's like, why did I just treat this guy like that? That's not who I am. I don't act like that. You know what happened? The next week, that same guy showed up in a parking lot at a different church and raped a woman. You think the line of the tribe of Judah didn't sniff that thing out and rise up in that man? So just because you feel an agitation, I'm not saying that it's going to be God every time. I'm just saying don't automatically assume that it's not. Because it could be. It could be Him. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. When something rises up in me, I don't discount that it could be God. He's in here. But I don't discount the fact that it could be me rising up too. <laughs> you got to learn that voice. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Let me hear that. Let me hear that familiar. Let me know it's you. And He'll do that. He don't want us in the dark. Everything about God's about light. He's not about putting anything in the dark. But we go back now to Psalm 22. And you see the price that Jesus paid to captivate your attention. Jesus paid a horrible price just to capture our attention. Now not only can I see who He is because of what He's done, I can see how much He loves me. When I look at what He did, when I look at why He did what He did, ain't nobody ever loved me like this Jesus. Nobody's ever loved me like that. He has captivated my heart. I have no trouble sitting at His feet. It's not a chore. And that's what He'll birth in you when you see Him as He is. It'll captivate you. When Annette and I first met, I saw something in her. And what I saw in her captivated me. 
do you think it was a chore for me to, to go spend time with her? No, I'm busy rearranging my schedule, putting everything I can on the back burner because I want to spend as much time with her as she'll permit me to spend with her. It wasn't something I had to do. It was something I wanted to do. Why? I was smitten. She captivated me. And apparently, she was of the same mind. And she wanted to spend time with me. So what was the result? We just decided to give each other the time of the rest of our life. Because we had been, both been smitten. We were captivated by each other. But the thing I saw in Annette was that she was captivated by the same thing I was captivated by. I saw that she was going after the things of God. I saw that she was hungry for truth. And I saw, I saw, I saw things in her that I see in me. And I'm like, this is somebody I can walk with. This is somebody I can go forward with. I've, I've, I've been in relationships where that wasn't the case. I can't tell you how much better this is. It's exceeding abundantly above all that I ever asked or thought. Not right now. <laughs> but I've been captivated by his love and as I behold him who he is and what he sees in me is born in me. The scripture says as we behold him as in a mirror we're conformed to that same image. I don't care how you see yourself. And you can't change how you see yourself. And He doesn't want you to change how you see yourself. What He wants you to do is behold Him. And as you behold Him, that will bring the change. One thing is needful. That's it. Just one thing. You don't have to change anything. Sit at His feet. Continue to look into the perfect law of liberty. And these things will be produced in you. What keeps us from doing the one thing? Jesus broke it down for us in Mark 4. The persecutions, afflictions, cares of the world, deceitfulness, riches, lust of other things. These things distract us or take our attention captive, leaving us trying to handle them in our own strength. These things are death and its fruit. And we set out to conquer these things, death management, in our strength, all the while leaving Him who has demonstrated that He has conquered death and you've left Him at the altar alone when you decide to go do this in your own strength. How foolish this is when our husband is the King of glory. The Lord mighty in battle. 
He pointed out these distractions in Mark chapter 4, but he didn't just leave it. Jesus is not going to present a problem without giving you the solution. Because you jump down to verse 22, or 21, and he said, And he said unto them, them who? Them who he just talked about, the persecutions, afflictions, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. He said, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on the candlestick? For there's nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither was there anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. For with what measure you meet it, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. This kind of sounds like 30, 60, 100 fold, doesn't it? To him that has shall more be given. Why would we grope around in the dark when we have a light available to us? I, 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 don't, I don't care a lot for the Amplified Bible, but I really like the way the Amplified brings out these two verses in 20, uh, 24 and 25. And he said to them, Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides this will be given to you who hear. For to him who has will more be given. And from him who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away by force. The measure of thought and study you give to the matter. How much time are we spending sitting at the feet of Jesus, letting him persuade our hearts? Do you give thought to it? Do you give study to it? I, I, I understand what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, where it talks about how he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Why? Because he's been captivated. It's not some rule that he had to follow. Okay, I'm supposed to go meditate. First off, you can't meditate day and night. What you can do is you can put it in you and Christ in you will meditate on it day and night. And you'll wake up in the morning and boom, there'll be an image right there in front of you. That's how that goes down. <laughs> I lost my spot. How do we measure death and any of its fruit when the king of glory is our husband. How did Mike measure what he saw in that bed with that baby? i tell you how he measured it. He said, I see an empty grave. That's how he measured it. How do we measure these things? Jesus could do no mighty work in his own hometown because they measured him as just being the carpenter's son. 
the sovereign God who created you as a sovereign being will stand back and let you decide how you measure a thing. talked about John the Baptist and how they measured him and everything but there came a time when Jesus was curious as to how they were measuring him and he said this he said who do men say that I the son of man am and they said well some of them say you're Elijah and some of them say you're John the Baptist or some of them say you're one of the other prophets and Jesus said but who do you say that I am. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What happened as a result of the way Peter measured him? Up out of him came the keys to the kingdom because of the way he measured him. We're all in here as parts of the body of Christ. How do you measure me? How do we measure Greg? How do I measure Maurice? Do I measure according to the flesh? Or do I measure according to what I see in you? Because if Christ in me is the hope of glory, I know Christ in you is the hope of glory. And I can spot when somebody has their cup overflowing. There's a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. That's why Paul would admonish the church at Ephesus. He said, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, that literally means be being filled. And there's a place where you can put yourself in where that you'll, you'll be like, Jesus, my cup runneth over. I like being around people whose cup's running over. I, I like being around Maurice because his cup's always running over. This dude's always chewing on the Scriptures. And something's always coming out of him. I'll, I'll, I'll hear God in him. And I'll hear God coming out of him and he, sometimes he don't even recognize that's what's going on. But this man hears from God. I'll tell you this right now. What I want to say is, if Maurice Cabaret walks up to you and says, you're going to die, you better hope to God the next word that comes out of his mouth is unless. This man hears from God. Now he's sitting over there kind of embarrassed right now because I'm putting him on the spot. But the thing is, I've measured what's on the inside of you. And... I don't know, I just, I just feel to say that, that, that God's bringing you to a place where you'll start to measure that as well. And you'll see that what's inside of you is greater than what's inside of you and you'll more readily deliver that and let it come forth. And the whole body will be blessed because of it. How do we measure Greg? Is he just, you know, good old Greg, he's my buddy. Well, if that's the way you want to measure him, that's, that's who he'll be. But when he stands up here behind this pulpit, I recognize the voice of the prophet when I hear it. And that's what I'm after. 
And because of that, I can't tell you how many times I've been chewing on something or twisting on something for two or three days or maybe even longer. And then I show up here on Sunday morning and without me having a discussion at all, woo, here it comes. Why? Because I measured him. I measured what's in him. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Well, I'm a saint. That means I need maturing. That means I need ministering to. And that means I need to be edified. And I know where to go to get that. I know where to go to get that. And the thing, and if for whatever reason it doesn't come from the pulpit, me and Gary will be having a discussion in the back, and the next thing you know, here it comes up out of him. The body supplying the nutrients from the head, and it fills out the body. Mm. But who do you say I am? Who do you say Greg is? Who do you say Annette is? Who do you say Maurice is? Are you going to judge according to the flesh? Or are you going to recognize that there's a treasure in that earthen vessel? That's, a, that's that line of Judah rising up, you know? All right. We're all in the midst of various trials and tribulations right now. I heard a man of God say this one time, you're, you're go always gonna find yourself in one of three places. You're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of it. <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am the King of glory. But don't be so foolish as to try and tackle these things by yourself when your husband is your maker, when your husband is the king of glory. So in these trials, what will we do? Will we let our husband who is our maker arise to the occasion? Our husband who is the king of glory? Or will we try to be our own king of glory and leave him at the altar? I've made my decision and I make it again and again every day. Mm -mm -mm. Every day I choose the one thing that is needful because I've been captivated by his love. Maurice posted something a couple of days ago. I want to read it. He said, not just another verse. He said, in one long, beautiful sentence, the Apostle Paul reveals to us how the ultimate state of the human existence can be experienced by us both today and evermore. Listen. That's Maurice's catchphrase. Listen. <laughs> I love it. When he says it, my ears perk up. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of glory, of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend or see with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God until Christ be fully formed in you. This from the book of Ephesians is not just another verse of Scripture for it contains the mystery hidden from ages past but now is disclosed unto them that believe. To know Jesus and His unfathomable, 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 to know Jesus and His unfathomable love for you is to be filled with the measure of the, all the fullness of God, the One who is the Creator of all things and in whom all things exist. Know Him and receive that love. Find Him manifesting in you, thereby becoming a possessor of all things, even the eternity that He has established and that is in Him. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, I've got an advantage over Adam and Eve. I can see who this God is. I can see what it is He can do. And I can see that He's interested in me. I can see that He loves me. You know, sometimes we get all legalistic. I'm picturing there... We've all heard the deal with the girl with the daisy picking them off. She's saying, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And then people that are part of so-called grace churches will say, No, 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 you need to quit. That's what you need to say is He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, He loves me. Where's the focus of that? Me, 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 me. But yet you get that girl sitting there and she's going, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. She's thinking about Him. And you're going to come around with your garbage and destroy a beautiful picture. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm thinking about Him. I'm thinking about Him. All right. So, how will you measure a thing? So here we are at Christmas. For unto you a child is given. Unto you a son is born. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. As we go through this Christmas season and these verses pop up and present themselves, how will we measure that?
unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. How do you measure that? The amount of thought and study that you give to the matter is the amount of knowledge and virtue that will come back to you. And more besides this. So in light of how we measure this king of glory, I want to play a song. And uh, for you folks on the internet, uh, I'm sorry we can't play it on the live stream because of copyright, whatever. I'm going to ask Annette right now to post the link to the song on the Bible study page if you want to jump in and, and listen. So before we go, go to the song, I, I, I want to leave you with just a couple of verses. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. So just hang tight. I want you to listen to this. Give us a little volume on it, too. The Redeemer, Savior of the world, wonderful counselor. How do you measure this? Right morning star. 